we're going to continue on in our series 167, and I'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. But how many of you have watched our world over the last number of months and maybe even years and wondered if it's a little bit messed up? Anybody else seen that? It's a little bit messed up. Concerned maybe with stuff that's happening in the news. And uh, just uh, this week where I read that in 2018, over 1,300 people in B.C. alone uh, overdosed uh, through, through d- drug addiction. 1,300. That's, that's four, uh, almost four a day. Like, that's your row every two days, the people like, like that. I, you read what's going on, and if you, if you follow any world news in Venezuela and what's happening there and in France and in our neighbors to the south and all kinds of chaos and upset. And, and then on top of that, we live in what many sociologists and, and counselors are calling the age of anxiety, where people walk with fear in so many areas of, of their lives. Uh, no, I don't think it's any coincidence that it's also called the age of rage. Afraid people get defensive and get protective and lash out. And so we live in these two things that are going on in so much in our culture, rage and, and anxiety. And then there's just strange things you hear. I don't know if you read some of this in the last couple of weeks. A, a man in India who's suing his parents because he, they did not get his consent for him to be born. This is real. Like, I don't know how that one's going to work out, but if it works, like I might go for it. Like Make some money. No. Another one, another expert saying this week that you should get consent from your infant who cannot speak before changing their diaper. It's real. That's, that's just strange stuff in our world right now. But it's into that world that we remind ourselves in this world that in Ephesians 1 and 23 that the church you see is not peripheral to the world. We think it all happens out there and we're like some side wheel over here in the church. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. The way we see anything change in our world, the way that anything is going to look different in our world is right there through the church. Because the church is Christ's body that through which he speaks And he acts through you if you're a follower of Jesus. He speaks through you. He acts through you, through you, through me, through us, through the church in the city of Surrey in in greater Vancouver. He fills everything with his presence. Because we actually believe that Jesus still changes things. Jesus still does things. He still shifts things. Otherwise, what are we doing? The way we see things changing is through a thriving church. Not a building, not an institution. You, me, people like Nancy, people like the people that put on Night to Shine that said, it's not okay for world just to be it is. I'm going to do what I can do. And right here in Surrey, maybe in Langley, maybe in Vancouver, maybe in Kamloops, maybe in Kelowna, maybe in Ottawa, maybe in all kinds of places that there needs to be more of the presence of Jesus. Because church is not a service we attend, it's a people we are. I love Sunday. I love gathering like we did today. There's great worship and the band plays well and we pray for things and we sense the presence of God and we hear the word of God and we hear all that and people come to Jesus, but it's just like one hour in our life. And if we're not careful, one hour, hour and a half, depending on when you come into the building, uh, it's just one hour in our week, and we can say, well, I've shown up, I've done my, my thing, I've done my duty, I've, I've come to church, pastor, and, and we could make the mistake that that's all there is. 
but there are 168 hours in a week. We were in our staff meeting this past week, and some of our staff were actually surprised that there were 168 hours. They'd never stopped and think, thought about that. I won't point out Daniel, but it might have been him. 168 hours. And the point being that the one hour here is not meant to be all there is. It's not meant. It, it all matters. The 167 hours of your life. The other hours that are far outside of here, the hours where you, you're trying to figure out your finances, the hours where you're working through the issues in your physical body, the hours where life is lived, it's in those 167 hours that are loaded with opportunity and loaded with challenge. It's in those 167 hours that Jesus wants to show up in you and through you. It's in those 167 hours that through you, Jesus is going to spread the fragrance of his presence. It's going to fill the, every place with his presence in every way. 167 hours, it all matters. It's not just Sunday. Jesus speaks and acts it all matters in the 167. Through you, the church, Jesus fills everything with his presence. It all matters. Every place matters to God. The place where you play soccer, it matters to God. The classroom that you sit in, it matters to God. The, the marriage that you're in right now, it matters to God. Every movie set that you, that you perform in, it matters to God. The workplace that you're in, whether it's pulling a wrench, whether it's pounding a nail, whether it's writing a proposal, it matters to God. Every business deal that you do, it all matters. 167 hours. We cannot isolate who we are and what God's called us to be to a building because God is more concerned with the number that's out there that don't know him, that don't know that he exists, that don't know that he's come to, to redeem and challenge and change their life. He's more concerned with that than he is with the number in here because you can grow the number in here and it's wonderful and we praise God for it but at the same time there's still more in the 167 because what's in here has to get there it all matters anybody ever find out that you qualify for something or you've won something you get a call like my phone is ringing all the time now with strange numbers but every so often it's a horn, you pick up the phone and the horn blows. And Captain Dimwit says, you want a cruise. Stay on the line and we will give you all the information to take you and 28 people. Just wait one moment, push one, and give us your credit card number and you too can take your cruise. Anybody heard one of those things on there? And you're like, I'm not sure I want to qualify for that one. And, when, and there are other times like that. When my kids were young, um, we would have prizes and stuff at various church events and uh, among the pastoral team that we served on in that church, there was nine kids all about the same age. And every time there was a draw, they were hoping that they would win until we helped them to understand that as a pastor's kid, you're never going to win a draw at church. It's just not going to happen. It's unfair advantage. If I pull out, oh, all three of my kids won. Even if it was legit, you would all stone me. You would say, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're ripping off my kids. And so sometimes you dis get disqualified. Or you read, you win a prize, or you thought you won a prize, and then you read the fine print. Here's how you actually have to win. You must be left-handed. It has to be a Friday, and you have to have a dog named Dingo. Otherwise, I'm sorry, sir, you didn't meet the qualifications of the million-dollar prize. Thank you very much. A number of years ago, 2011, I think it was, we were uh, winning, Shanda was 
putting her name in for everything that she could, every free draw everywhere. And she was on, she was started to win. In fact, I think it was at uh, July 1st at, uh, in Surrey here. And uh, there was a, a bank that had fill out your information and you, you could win a prize, a, four, a trip to, for four to Disneyland. And my wife was convinced she was going to win it. I was like, I don't think so. Nobody wins those. It's just a scam. They just want your information. and that. But it was, so uh, we were there. Uh, and actually, I wasn't there at that time. Shanda was. And a name was drawn. And it wasn't our name. But there was some qualification. You had to be there to get your prize. So that person didn't meet the qualification. They weren't there. So they put the name aside. They reach in again, and they pull out Shanda Miller. And she was there. She won a prize. She qualified. We went to Disneyland. And all four of us, the next February, I think, because she met the qualifications to get the prize. She met, and, and she did. She won that. I, w- I was working in construction at that time. She won that. She won tickets. It was just, she was on a roll. Uh, I, you wanted to pr- her to pray for you. Uh, anytime you're, Lord, just pray for me. Shanda, help me. Uh, she won tickets to f- football games. She won tickets to soccer games. She won uh, shopping spree, jersey, like all kinds. This was all in about four months. And it was like, when the iron's hot, you just like strike, like boom, do it now. The sun is shining. I don't know. And since then, I don't know if she's won anything. Well, have you? She needs the favor back. It's here. Today's your day, hon. Today's your day. And when we talk about Jesus coming into, into lives and changing our 167, so often I hear people regularly disqualifying themselves from that story. It's for somebody else and some other time, somebody more qualified. And reasons that I often hear of people disqualify themselves or make excuses or whatever it might be, things like that are happening in their life. My marriage is in trouble. I, don't, I have a lot going on. I'm super busy. Or maybe I'm comfortable. I'm just brand new to Canada or to the church. Or I'm getting pretty old. Uh, some of you are like, I'm too young. Others are, well, I've been divorced. Or I've had, I've had some really bad things in my background. Or I've been hurt too deeply. And then the list goes on and on that stop us from stepping into the 167. We st- we're happy to be in church. But beyond that, it's very private. And instead of the church being in the center of it all, it's a wheel over here in our life when God's calling us to step into the 167. But so often we disqualify ourselves and don't experience what God has for us. And we make the mistake of thinking that there's something wrong with the gospel. But there's nothing wrong with the gospel. It's how we engage with the gospel that changes. Disqualified, our life reduced. But whoever you are, wherever you're at, there's more for you. God has created you to live large. God has created you to be more than just normal. God has created you to join with him in changing the world, to follow him in seeing Ventral Vancouver change, to follow him in breaking the back of poverty for widows, to follow him in welcoming in the disabled, to follow him in, in bringing peace and love and joy into our city, to follow him in bringing the good news of the gospel into your workplace. And so in all these places where God intends for his life to go, his love to go, his presence to when we don't step into them, when we disqualify them, something is missing in the world. It's not because God doesn't want to move in the world. It's because we don't move with Jesus into the world. We disqualify ourselves. And what would it look though, like, though, 
if we left our excuses, if we left our disqualifiers and lived like Jesus intended for us. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, and this is a story of Peter and John. Peter and John were two disciples of Jesus, and just in the chapter prior to this, in chapter 3, they had performed a, a miracle in the 167. They were on their way to something spiritual, and God interrupted their regular everyday life, and they performed a miracle and did an act of kindness where a layman was made well. And so they did that, they, they did that, and the, the, Jew, the religious leaders of the time got jealous of them, hauled them into jail, and uh, said, we're going to have a chat about this, we don't want you doing this. They got jealous, and so they were, there they were, thrown in jail, and we come to the scene where we're going to begin here in verse 12, where they were standing in front of what was essentially a courtroom, answering for what they had done, and they began to speak about Jesus in the 167. They said this, salvation is found in no one else, that's Jesus, for there is no other name except Jesus under heaven, given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage, everyone say courage, of Peter and John, or realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Everyone say, with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and confer, which is just simply kind of like the court, uh, and then conferred together. And then down to verse 18, after they came back, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. These are the guys in power. But Peter and John replied, which, which is right in God's eye to listen to you or to God? You will be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Notice about this story a few quick things. They were unschooled, ordinary men. It doesn't mean that they, were, they didn't have an education. It just means for them to operate in the environment they were op operating in, it was above their pay grade. It was above their experience. It was above what they'd been trained in. They were not religious scholars or anything like that. It says that they were ordinary or common men. They were just regular folks. They were no one special. And those opposing them were says they were astonished. They were blown away that those kind of people had courage that was incredible. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. At one time, that means if they were with Jesus, that means at one time they were not with Jesus. At one time they made a decision to be with Jesus and life was changed by a moment that began when they said, I'm going to be with Jesus. And it was a distinguishing mark of, of history and Christianity is that God is always looking for sending a message throughout history that Jesus is look, not looking for the most qualified. He's not looking for the most polished. He's not looking for the most perfect. He's looking for women and men that will follow him in every sphere of life, that will be with him in the 167, not just on Sunday, but in every day, in every place, in every situation, that we would be with him. Jesus is looking for for you and for me. He's looking for the retiree. He's looking for the university student. He's looking for the refugee. He's looking for the citizen. He's looking for the business person. He's looking for the addict. He's looking for the one struggling with their identity. He's looking for the one who thinks they have it all together. He's looking for the adulterer. He's looking for the pure one. He's looking for the stay-at-home mom. He's looking for the working mom. He's looking for the carpenter. He's looking for the engineer. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for the ordinary one, the common one, the one that hasn't got it all figured out and says, I'm looking for you to be with me. And we sometimes have a mistaken view that God is only looking for the ones who've got it all together, the ones without a past, 
the ones who don't ever argue with their spouse, the ones that never cuss, the ones that never struggle with anxiety, almost like we need to present a resume to Jesus to be qualified, to be used by Jesus. But God is not looking for your resume. He's looking for your obedience. And if we look at this powerful moment in isolation where Peter is standing with great boldness in front of people with power and speaking to power with truth about God and about Jesus, we might have the idea that Peter had the right resume if we don't know the rest of the story, that he was qualified, that he was the bold one, the courageous one, the one who had it all figured out. But Peter wasn't always put together and polished. His backstory makes this story even better. And I suspect that's about you. Sometimes we think our backstory disqualifies us, but often it's your backstory that makes your story more powerful. And Jesus came and Peter was, and Jesus was looking for his followers and calling them. And he came to the place where Peter was a fisherman. And he said to Peter in that moment, he said, Peter, follow me. And Peter left his nets and followed Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you're a fisherman today, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to take you from where you are, and I'm going to take you to another dimension that you're not currently in. That I want to take you in this one moment from here and actually transform you so that in the 167 of your life, it's going to look different. And Peter made a decision to follow Jesus, the one who was just a guy, just a guy at work, just a fisherman. And when Jesus could have gone to the halls of religious power and found the most qualified, the one who knew their Bible the best, he, he didn't. He went to the marketplace. He went to the fishing dock. He went to the tax collecting office and picked people that others might have rejected. He went after a political zealot called Simon, and he went after people in all kinds of different places and said, follow me. And the untrained, busy, occupied, regular person in her 167, Jesus said, I don't want to just know you in an environment like Sunday. I want to know you and use you in the environment where you are in the 167. And some parts of Peter's story were incredible. His backstory. He was the one who recognized Jesus first as not just being a good teacher, but the Son of God who came to save people. He recognized that who Jesus was. Peter performed miracles. Peter is the one who walked on water in response to an invitation from Jesus. Peter was the first one who went to the tomb, the first apostle who went to the tomb and ran there when he heard that Jesus has risen from the dead. He was the first one there. And we could look at that and say, wow, his story is incredible. But Peter was also the one who had foot-in-mouth disease. Like always, if somebody was going to say something inappropriate at the wrong time, you could look, there's Peter. He was the one who just after Jesus said, Peter, this is amazing. You recognize God's shown you that I'm the son of God. That's amazing. Peter right away in that moment turns and rebukes Jesus. Jesus is like, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, I don't know. Like, Peter, come on. Peter had lack of self-control. He was when there was a fight going on against Jesus and coming against. Peter is the one who pulls out his, pulls out his sword and whacks off the ear of, one, of someone else. Peter is the one who said, Jesus is the Christ. And just a short time later, when a servant girl asks him, are you sure you're with Jesus? Aren't you with Jesus? Peter denies him. And not only does he deny him, he denies them with a cuss word. 
Just make sure you understand, little servant girl, probably 12 years old, and this man of God with great vim and vigor. No, I don't know him. Not once, not twice, three times. And then when it was all said and done, he ran. So his story was a bumpy story. He was insecure and proud at times. He fought with the other men that were followers of Jesus. And who's going to be the greatest? Oh, it could be me. I think it could be me. All kinds of issues. His story's pretty bumpy. Ups and downs. Good days and bad days. The incredible choice to walk on water, followed by a disappointing church or choice of denying Jesus. Doesn't seem like the story of a bold guy that we just read about. It's a bumpy story, like your story, like my story. A bit bumpy, not always all together, but it was changed by a decision. The direction of his story shifted in a moment when Jesus said, will you follow me? And Peter got up and followed him. It all changed. And the reality that he had been walking in, his everyday, ordinary, common Peter, was changed and began to be different because he was with Jesus. Little by little, day by day, step by step, he was changed. And he stood living differently in the 167 because of a moment in the one that forever altered the direction of his life. And that, one commentator said that the rulers of that day might have said something like this. We thought we had gotten rid of that man, Jesus, but here he reappears in these men. And that's when Christianity is at its strongest. When we look like, sound like, talk like, live like, love like, serve like Jesus. With Jesus. The ordinary, the common, the regular, the everyday, the old, the young, every tribe, every tongue, every everyone who exclude themselves says, I'm going to follow Jesus and see my life transformed by being with Jesus. It's the way God has always worked. And this bumbling man, Peter, screwing it up, cursing and frustrated with people, was transformed. Not by simply trying harder, not by doing better, not by being and making everything just perfect, but because he was with Jesus. But I think, like, unlike Peter and John, I'm not always the boldest one in my 167. It's easy for me to make an excuse or a reason why I can't or why I shouldn't or why it won't work for me. I'm not always so bold when I know there's an opportunity to stand in for Jesus in the 167. Maybe you're like that sometimes where you make excuses, you blow it, you see all that you don't have, you see all there are days when I back off or maybe when you back off or the anxiety keeps you in or this, the, the thing that you stepped into never intended to suddenly is in a, in a space that you never did ever anticipate being in, doing stuff that you never thought with. And we're so aware of what disqualifies us that we lose the awareness of God who qualifies us with Jesus. You see, we all have different things that would hold us back, would disqualify us. The fear of this. What if that? The lack of this. And you can fill that in. The regret of those things that I did. The pain of the things that were done to me. But the fear of, the unknown, the reject, rejection, the failure, the loss of control, the loss of my comfort. The fear of speaks to this. 
or when you're with Jesus, speaks to this. The mountain you fear can't stand before the Jesus you follow. And when you lose your perspective of being with Jesus, or when you gain your perspective of being with Jesus, the mountain you fear can't stand before the Jesus you follow. So whatever you're fearing has to bow before Jesus. Not because you're going to try harder, not because you're going to do nine exercises and do all that. Do that. But also say, Jesus, I need you, and I'm going to follow you, and you're going to do something incredible in my life. For some of us, it might be the lack of, lack of money, lack of skills, lack of looks, lack of gifts, lack of connections. And when you're with Jesus, this speaks, he speaks this, that there is provision from God for every promise of God. And so when you're looking at what you don't have, begin to understand what you do have when you're with Jesus, that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think, ask, or even imagine that God can take you from the place that you're in and take you to the place that he's designed you to be in. But there is a provision from God for every promise of God. It's not because you're going to get smarter all of a sudden. It's because you're going to lean into following Jesus, being with Jesus in a, in a new and a fresh way. For some, it's the pain of the pain of things done to you, betrayal, rejection, abuse, abandonment with Jesus. What happens? I've never walked into something powerful without first stepping out of something painful. Let me tell you that the pain that's been done to you does not mean that you're disqualified. The pain that someone has visited upon you, the abuse that's been, the betrayal, betrayal that's come, the issue from who knows when that you keep saying, well, if, if people really knew, then, mm, but the pain of does not have to be a disqualifier. And then there's sometimes the, the, the regret of the things that we have done. Don't let a stumble in your past determine the steps of your present. Don't, don't, don't let it happen. It's nothing that the enemy likes to do more than to visit upon you. You've done this. You've done that. And if people knew and all that and why, I can't believe that you would and blah, blah, blah. And but the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. So when we bring it to Jesus, God, forgive me. Help me to step forward. I don't have to live in the regret of what was. I can step into the promise of what is. You can come to church. You can smile. You can look good. You can feel God's presence. And no one can see some of these things. What's going on on the inside? And you keep disqualifying yourself. But our bottom line today is when you surrender to Jesus, what no one sees, he will transform what everyone sees. Everybody can see the Bible says that God looks on the heart, man looks on the outside or the appearance, but God looks on the heart. Everybody else, though, sees what flows out of your heart. And so Jesus doesn't come to try and beat you into submission. He comes to transform you from the inside out. And like Peter, will you follow me? Yes. And then walk with me. When you surrender to Jesus, what no one sees, he transforms what everybody sees. I access the greatest power in the universe. The ordinary man became a courageous man. The person with every excuse, now suddenly God begins to, yeah, but you don't know. No, I don't know. But with Jesus, things begin to shift. When I access Jesus, it's Jesus. And, and people can begin to see as Jesus, as you begin to walk with Jesus more and more, as you begin to follow Jesus more and more, and we're going to uh, end with telling you some of the ways that you can do that. But as you do that, people are going to look at you and say, they're not that smart. 
That has to be Jesus. They're not that kind. That has to be Jesus. They're not that accepting. That has to be Jesus. They used to cuss like you would not believe, but now Jesus has done something. They used to like be a taker. Now suddenly they're a giver, and that's what Jesus does. He begins to work on you from the inside out, and when you're with Jesus, everything can begin to shift in your life and through your life. It's not just a moment that happens. It's a life that we live. He said, you will follow me. He didn't just say, come to come and I'll do something and everything changes. He said, follow me. And sometimes like Peter, our, our journey goes up and sometimes it goes down. Sometimes we feel like we're not knowing where we're going and we get back on track and say, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to go where he says to go. I'm going to stop when he says stop. I'm going to turn when he says turn. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Nothing that's come against me, the fear of, the lack of, the regret of, no, nothing's going to stop me. Because when I surrender to Jesus, what no one sees, he transforms what everyone sees. Because Jesus is love. The most powerful force in the universe is the love of God. When you're with God, this is what happens when you're with Jesus. Understand some things. With Jesus, because Jesus is love. It's not just his practice. It's not his kindness or how he is or, or what he does. It is who he is. His very very nature is love. When he looks at you, he looks at through the lens of love. He does not look through rejection, abandonment, get away from me, no matter what space you're in, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what the of is in your life, Jesus looks at you with love. That's who he is. And then Romans 5, 8 says, when God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners, while we were blowing it, while we knew what we were doing and did it anyways, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. When we are with Jesus, he can begin to shift things. 1 John 4 and 16 says, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. I don't rely on my good behavior because sometimes it's pretty bad. I don't rely on my resources. I don't rely on my expectations of other people. I don't rely on what I have in my bank account. I don't rely on my behavior suddenly shifting because I read something. I rely on being with Jesus, the one who does supernatural work from the inside out because when I surrender my of on the inside, he begins to transform me on the outside. And when I face a giant of confusion, I remind myself that I'm with Jesus. In fact, in Romans, it says this, no, in all these things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the fire, the, the difficulty, the pain, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me, who loves me. In my most difficult moment, in my most uh, difficult struggle. He loves me no matter what I'm going through. He loves me and I'm going to come through somehow winning. He's more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me. Even when death comes to stalk me one day and death comes to all of us, I still win because when death comes for me, the grave can't hold me. Death's coming for me and Jesus said, hey, 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 hold it. That one, he's with me. He's with me. And I say, yes, I'm with Jesus. So Jesus is not only in my every day. He's in my one day. When I surrender to Jesus, what no one sees, he transforms what everyone sees. But don't make the mistake of, well, I said a prayer, I did something one day, and I come to church once in a while. It's not what I'm talking about. Because it's not just about the one hour. It's about the 167. I invite you to stand with me, and we're going to close. 
But Peter's story turned. A guy was just an ordinary one, a guy just doing his fishing. Jesus comes up to him and says, follow him. If Peter had just heard the story, said, Jesus said, follow, I heard about it, I'm going to be around it. And said, that was really good for somebody else. We would never have heard about Peter. We would never have seen somebody step out of the ordinary, the common, the average, the everyday, into moving from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. In other words, the upgrade that God had when he saw ordinary, everyday, common to courageous. And in this moment, if you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, the call of God is, the call of Jesus is, will you follow me? Because nothing really begins to shift until you change the direction you've been going. When Jesus says calling, hey, son-in-law, can you come up here for a moment? It's Caleb. It's my son-in-law. If you're part of our family, you just got to be ready for this kind of stuff. Walk that way. Stop before you hit the edge, though. So he's going that way, and I say, follow me. Caleb, follow me. Okay, It's a good thing to do when your father-in-law says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me, Caleb. Okay, follow me. Follow me. Come on. Follow me. We're going to go somewhere. I'm going to take you. Now stop following me. That's what he might do. He might choose to do that. Sometimes we make it a moment and say, well, I followed you far enough. And Jesus is moving into a new space and a new place for your life. And you've stopped somewhere. You made a decision for a while and you stopped somewhere. And what God had for you in this gap, you're like, where is it at, God? What's happening with my life? What? Where is it at? And, and you take a moment and say, oh, I hear the voice of Jesus saying, follow me. What will I do? I'm going to follow. I'm going to be with Jesus. So come on. Jesus. That's what Jesus is, I feel like, is saying to some of you this morning. You can go, he looks a little bit like Jesus, but he's not. It's just all right. But he was walking this way. He had to make a decision if he would turn around. He made the right decision because I'm his father-in-law. But beyond that, see, literally with our life, that's what repentance means. My life is going one way. And I say, G, G, I hear Jesus calling me, and Jesus is calling you. And some of you in worship in different spaces felt something, and it was the presence of God on you. And you take a moment and say, will I follow? Because what God has for me is there, and I'm not going to get it that way. I'm not going to become the man or woman of God, absolutely transformed into what God had for me, unless I make a decision to turn. And then I make a decision that becomes a journey. And that's, if you're a follower of Jesus, where it sometimes breaks down, we disqualify ourselves because of all the ofs. And this morning, doing two things. Number one, some of you are going to make a decision to follow Jesus today. And it's going to literally change the direction of your life. Step by step, day by day, moment by moment. And your life, when you look back after you make this decision in just a moment, You'll look back a year from now and say, what has God done? My life looks totally different. My marriage is different. My family is different. My life is different. God's done more than I could think or imagine. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. So I want to give people the opportunity to make that decision. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I want to follow Jesus. 
for the very first time. I've never made that decision before, but today is my day. I want to begin a journey. I don't know all what it is, but I know that God has more for me, and I want to ask Jesus to be the forgiver and leader of my life. If that's you, just throw your hand up all around the room. My right, your left. Right down the middle. This is, don't, if you're feeling something, don't push it off. This is your moment to begin an absolutely different journey. On my left, your right. All right. We're going to pray together, family. And if you put your hand up, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray right along with me. I'll just repeat after me. Jesus, I thank you that you're my Savior. I ask you to forgive my sins, to come in and lead my life. I choose to follow you. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I ask you to rearrange my journey. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you have passed from death to life, the Bible says. You have come from darkness into light from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus. Here's the second part. Maybe you recognize you have not been living boldly. I've been living in a space where things could be different, but you've been making excuses. You've been making, disqualifying yourself. Just again, with every head bowed and every eye closed. They might be feel very legitimate things to you, but Jesus, with Jesus, everything can change. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed. The fear of the regret of, the lack of, the pain of. If you know that that or something else, you've been disqualifying yourself from being engaged in all that God has for you. Just throw your hand up real quick and I want to pray with you. Come on, just keep it up all over the room. Keep it up. Don't, don't hesitate for a moment. God's touching your heart. God's going to come and do something supernatural in your life and begin the journey. Amen, amen, amen all over the room. Family, if your hand's not up, I'm just going to ask you to pray right where you are. Don't go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you sent Jesus. Not that, not that we love God, but that you loved us and gave Jesus as a ransom for us, Lord, that you make a way where there seems to be no way. Father, in every place, just take a moment and just say, whatever that of is, Lord, I release that to you. Just take it quietly, just between you and Jesus right now. Just it's a moment by Holy Spirit to come. I release it to you, Holy Spirit. Whether it's the fear of, the lack of, the regret of, the pain of, I release it to you. And begin a moment. I welcome you. I welcome you to every place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Believe, I'm, I'm one who believes strongly in always a next step. This is a moment, but God wants to turn your moment into momentum in your life. And you will experience what it's like to be with Jesus when you're with his people, the church. So I want to challenge you. I think I have up on this screen three potential steps that you could take or one. Maybe you've been coming and you're like, ah, I'm not sure about all this. Just come back next week. See what God would do. Come back next week. And if you've been coming here a long time, you should still come back next week. Pastor said, I'm good. I'm never coming back. No, come back next week. Next, we have Grow Track. It's an easy step that every week we, where we just take some one for over four weeks, once a week, whatever order you want, where we help you to find your purpose. Because God has created you with so much purpose, 
And some of us said, I don't know how. I want to, in a one, six, seven. We're going to help you find who God made you. Your design reveals your destiny. And finally, look at that, going a group. I don't think that going to a group. Find your people, horizonfam.ca. Find a group to, to attend and commit yourself to because it's people to protect you, people to come around you, people to guard you, people to love on you, people to see the best in you. Call out the gold in you. Find your people. Find out what your next step is. Grow Track is happening right after the service today. You can follow the signs. 12.15 it begins. There's free lunch, uh, child care available. Uh, if you felt any stirring in any of that, if you put one in your hand up, do one of the steps. Thank you. God bless you as you go. You got anything? All right. God bless you. Thank you.